Hallelujah. Isn't that a beautiful song? It's just a remembrance of how good our Father is, how good our Heavenly Father is. I want you to know that this meeting was birthed out of our good Heavenly Father. He is good. He is so good. And He loves us. He loves us so much. Um, when Miss Carolyn came and talked to us, about having a, a meeting about legacy. It was something that came out of her heart as well. I believe God spoke it to her heart, that there was something missing in our generation today, that the teaching and the powerful transforming truth of God's legacy is something that's missing in our generation today. Um, I believe that society today doesn't teach our young girls how to honor their bodies. And doesn't teach them how special and honorable they really are. And it's everything that is the opposite of what God's word says that we are. So I believe that this message is straight from our Father's heart. And if you've ever felt desperate and alone and ready to give up on any hopes of a better life. Because maybe the legacy that you've seen or you've been shown is not a picture of God's goodness, then you're in the right place. I believe God's heard your prayers, and he's already provided an answer, and that answer is in his word. I love God's word. I love that it is God-breathed is what the word says. It says that the scriptures are God-breathed, and they're profitable for instruction, for teaching. And I believe that this morning, through his word, we're going to hear some amazing truths that are going to transform our lives. Um, I know as a young girl, I believe the lie of the enemy that says, as it has been, so shall it always be. As I've seen my family, then that's what I'm going to step into, exactly that. But the truth is that your obedience to stand and not be moved by what has been can and will change your legacy. Amen. Um, I was telling Miss Carolyn about, I look up here on this stage, and you see this beautiful picture of home, and you see beautiful pictures of home. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, and she just got a little dollhouse, and it has all the perfect little pieces, and it's beautiful. And as she was looking at it, she, she just loves it. She's like, I live there, Gamma. I live there, she says. And she wants to get in that picture. She wants to live in that beautiful picture of home. And as I look up here, there's this chair. This chair is representing how God changed my legacy. I grew up watching my father kneel and pray by his bed. Or he'd come and kneel and pray by my bed. And I want you to know when you pray God's word, God's truth, you are sending out legacy into your life. Or when you pray God's word into your family or into your children, it's like arrows of God's world into their world. And I, I've always wondered what changed my legacy. And so as I look at that chair, 
that chair represents God's presence. I always had a chair by my bed. And that's where I would kneel and pray. And I didn't know any better. I just did what I saw my father do. We knelt and we prayed. But as I got into God's word, I would pray God's word. And I've always said, somebody prayed for me. Somebody did something. But as I've been praying about this meeting, I thought, you know, I sent legacy forth into my life. I prayed God's word. I read it, and I believed it for myself. And that song that Cassie wrote is so amazing because it talks about a faithful father. And I tell you, growing up, my life and my future seemed unstable, hopeless at times. But I knew every time I'd come back into my room, I'd look at that chair, and it represented God's presence and his goodness. And I didn't realize that every time I knelt there and prayed God's word, I was changing my legacy. I was changing my legacy. I didn't realize how powerful God's word is. But it takes you being determined, being here today, to hear God's word and to hear what his truth has to say about your life. And what has been and what has always been doesn't have to be. It can change. But the difference is God. (laughs) It's his presence and it's his word in your life. I want to pray as I introduce Miss Carolyn. I want to pray over God's word. I want to pray that our hearts would be open to receive what he has for us today. And that you will take a hold of what God's word says about your life, your children's life, your legacy that you have, that you can live in and walk in. But not just that, but that you can send that legacy forth as well. Amen. It can be changed. That's what we're called to do. We're called to make a difference. Our world is not supposed to just be about us. It's the legacy that we leave for others. Amen. There's legacy on the inside of us. If, if Jesus Christ lives on the inside of you, oh, you've got it. It's in there. So I want to pray before Miss Carolyn comes up and just shares with us. Father, we, just, we are so thankful for your word We can't even begin to comprehend and understand how supernatural and miraculous your word is in our lives. When we take hold of it for ourselves, when we speak it with our mouths and we pray that we are sending forth your legacy into our lives and the lives of others around us. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the words that are going to be spoken today. I thank you, Father, that our hearts are ready to receive, that we are desperate enough this morning to say, I need something different. I don't want to walk into what has always been. I want to live the life that you intended for me to have. But I understand this morning that I can't do it without you without your Holy Spirit working in my life and without God's word working in my life. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for anointing Miss Carolyn as she comes and that as she speaks, Lord, that she will speak exactly what you have spoken to her heart. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. If there's any lady who has sent forth legacy, 
that is this lady. I have seen how she lives her life and how much she loves God, and she has the heart of God on the inside of her, and she sends forth legacy everywhere she goes, God's legacy, God's truth, and it is love. Thank you. Thank love. You. Thank you so much. <laughs> love you. Thank you. Can you hear me? Sit loud enough. I'm so honored and so privileged that all of you are here today. It blesses me to see the room full of ladies who've come to receive the Word of God. You know, that's first priority in our lives is hearing and receiving God's Word. It should be. Before I get started, I want to acknowledge my honored guests that I'm looking so forward to hearing in a little while Phyllis Webb. Everyone, please welcome Phyllis. I'm thrilled to have my daughter Terry and my granddaughter Cassidy with us today. Just bless me. Terry texted me this week and she said, Mom, this is the only weekend I'm home. Can I, can I come to your meeting? And I said, oh, yes. I didn't even ask you because I know you're gone every weekend speaking somewhere. So it thrills me that you're here. And believe this stand-up cast. Do you see this little bed up here? This was this child's bed at my house. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> now I'd have to put two of them together to <laughs> make it fitter. <laughs> so that was her bed in the playhouse. So, you know, things change. Life changes. And I'm so honored for all of you to be here. And, you know, the Lord put this on my heart a number of months ago. Uh, the desire in me for legacy, for heritage, for the depth of God's word, for the hunger of God's word, for, for continuation of some of the wonderful things that we've been given growing up. I want it to be passed down to my children and to my grandchildren and to my great-grandchildren. Wonderful heritage, wonderful things. So I want to get started. And, and if you'll agree with me for the anointing of God to flow and for everything I've had in my heart, to come out accurately and unhindered so that you'll go away today changed and blessed of the Almighty. Amen? Amen. The key scripture I want to start with today is Psalm 78, verse 4, in the NIV translation. It says, We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and, the, and His power and the wonders He has done telling the next generation about God's power and his praiseworthy deeds that he has done. So what is a heritage? I want to give you the definition of what a heritage is. Every family has a legacy. Every family has a heritage that is passed from generation to generation. Heritage is three things. It's a spiritual, emotional, and social legacy that is passed from parent to child, good or bad. Three things, spiritual, emotional, and social. Those three things are passed down from generation to generation. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says that a threefold cord is not easily broken. A threefold cord is not easily broken. You could break one strand 
And you could break possibly two strands, but three strands, it's almost impossible to break three strands. So if you've been given a wonderful heritage, a wonderful legacy, which would be spiritual, emotional, and social, I'm telling you, you're going to be strong in life, and you cannot be broken. A three-fold strand is not easily broken. Amen? The three strands together are much stronger than one or two. With a heritage cord, the rope ties one to the past, gives security to the present, and gives hope to the future. Isn't that exciting? If you have a wonderful heritage, oh my goodness, I love that. It ties one to the past, which there's so many wonderful things in my past that I don't want to forget, that I want to bring into the future. And, and that I want to tell my grandchildren about. So you don't want to leave a lot of things in the past. Now, there are some things you want to leave in the past, but a lot of the good you don't want to leave in the past. You want to bring into the present and to the future. Uh, and this three-fold cord is what causes you to stay strong. When life dishes out to you, turbulence and storms and calamities, I'm telling you, you are anchored firm and you will not be destroyed because you have a strong foundation. You have a strong past, a, a bright future, and a strong present, right? So I want us to look at these three today. The future of our nation rests with our children. Today is never before. We're seeing the assaults on the hearts and minds and souls of our children. Satan is using every temptation that is possible to snare them, to destroy them, and to destroy the home. Christian homes, if he can get to the Christian home, he can destroy America. If we lose our children to, to Satan, guess what? We lose our nation, and our nation will be defeated. While we struggle with the evil that is in the world, we can be defeated from within. And our defeat will come more completely than we ever thought possible. So there's a tremendous test that Christian parents face today, and that's raising their family in a Christian environment and in a Christian home. We're struggling with forces and issues that no other generation has ever dealt with. All the problems have increased. The availability of clear-cut Bible answers have decreased. Everywhere we turn, there seems to be another self-proclaimed child expert telling us how to raise our children and how to deal with our problems, but few are providing us with real answers based on God's Word. True. The family. The family, and that's in, this includes your family and my family, is so important to God's heart and His plan for mankind. Our culture has historically define the family as a father and a mother and their biological children. When I was growing up, most popular programs on television were based on families. Now this will age me, and I don't mind telling you my age. I'm 67. Hallelujah. And the most popular shows were family shows, and it was I Love Lucy, uh, the Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, and that was my favorite. Oh, because of Ricky. 
Ricky Nelson and David Nelson. Oh, were they just not heartthrobs, those of you who are my age? I was in love with Ricky Nelson. I thought he was the cutest thing on TV. And it was a true, I mean, it was a story about a real family, Ozzie and Harriet, Harriet raising Ricky and, and David. And then after that came the Brady Bunch. You all know oh, the Brady Bunch, popular syndicated program that featured a large blended family of six children. And then the Cosby Show, which we loved watching the Cosby Show as my kids were growing up, uh, starring Bill Cosby as the patriarch of three generations of the Huxtable family. And now you know what he's been accused of, and according to what the news reports say, which I don't doubt all those voices of all those many women. So our entertainment medium today has become a horror. As you turn the channels and not even pause, your brain through your eye gate can become subject to poison in a matter of seconds, poison. Society is having forced on it vile language, lascivious images, perverted lifestyle. Look at just the commercials on TV today. Grieve my spirit so much. Girls kissing girls, the perfume ads, the girls hugging and kissing girls, boys kissing boys. And then Caitlyn Jenner is so popular on TV. Who would have ever thought we would live to see this day? Perversion of the highest order. We have before us today proof that society has reached rock bottom. Today we live in a media-driven culture that is actively trying to redefine the family. Television and movies now constantly portray what is referred to as the modern family. People who are neither related to or nor married to each other living together, with or without children, pretending to be happy families. An example, this is what the world is trying to force on us. This is what God said in the book of Genesis, man and woman shall cleave together and become one flesh. Man and woman. God created Adam and out of his side he created Eve. And he brought Eve to Adam and joined them together and they became one flesh. God did not make two men to be joined together. He did not make two women to be joined together. He made man and woman to be joined together. <laughs> so this is what the world and society is trying to force on us right now. Clearly, cleverly written scripts are intended to entertain the viewers and to build an audience and generate advertising dollars. They are now not, however, intended to portray the truth from God's word. The Bible instructs us to be not to be conformed to this world. Romans 12, 2. The Amplified Bible says, don't be fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. And I love the Phillips translation. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. And that's what's happening today. All around us, the world is trying to squeeze us into its mold. When I was in school, 
in biology class. And one of the experiments the teacher did, and I cannot remember what the point was she was trying to prove. I just remember what happened. She put a frog in a pot of boiling water. And as she dropped that pot into, I mean that frog into that pot of boiling water, it leapt out of that pot. And as it did, you know, she picked the frog back up and explained to the class whatever the explanation was. Then she took the frog and put it in a pot of just room temperature water. And then she turned the flame up under the pot. And the pot began to get a little warmer, a little warmer, a little warmer, and the little frog sitting there in the pot, just comfortable, just as comfortable as it can be, just getting conditioned to the heat and the temperature of everything that's around it, just comfortable, just comfortable. And she turned the flame up a little more and a little more and a little more. And before you knew it, that frog had cooked to death, had died had cooked to death. Well, that's what the world and that's what society and that's what the spirit of the world is trying to do to us. If you watch TV all the time, oh, anything, anything you do today, it's being forced on you to be conformed to this world and to accept the lifestyle that the world is trying to force on us. And if you stay in it long enough, around it long enough, your thinking will change, everything about you will change, and you will conform and become just like the world. And guess what? There you are all the time, just sitting in that comfortable, you know, hot pot, getting hotter and hotter of this world and being con conditioned to it until you eventually die. Until you eventually die. So I don't want to be like that frog that cooked to death in its own warm, comfortable environment. You know, you've done that in the natural. You've run a tub of hot water, and you went and put your toe in. It was too hot, and you jerked your toe out. So what did you do? You put cold water in until you got it down to where it was comfortable, and then you got in it. But once you got in it, do you remember turning the taps on, and it got hotter and hotter and hotter until you looked like a red beet by the time you, know, you decided this is enough. I've had enough and you turn the taps off. Well, we do not want to be conformed to the world. We do not want to look like the world. We want to look like Jesus. We want to look like Him. Hallelujah. Satan is causing us to be conformed more and more to the world and to look like the world, to act like the world, to talk like the world. He's even trying to get us to dress like the world. Ladies, we should not come to church with our bosoms showing and hanging out. I'll tell you a story one, that this is a true story. John Hagee's little grandson was being introduced to this lady. She bent over and said, well, hello, son. And all of her bosoms were showing, and it was exposed. And he looks at his grandpa and says, when did her butt get in the front? <laughs> her butt get in the front <laughs> out of the mouth of babes comes the truth <laughs> I love that story so we don't want to be conformed to the world I don't care what kind of clothing they're gonna go to we should not be sexy we should not be 
I mean, you can be feminine sexy, okay? And not be exposed sexy. I think femininity like this is beautiful. Femininity. You know, we don't have to be trashy to be classy. You know? I mean... Amen. So as Christians, we're not to model our families according to what we see on television, what we see in magazines or in the movies, and we're not to emulate what we see people around us doing. We're to model our families by what we see in God's Word. God has established the family as His pattern for all of mankind because He wants us to live together and to love each other and to care for each other. As true Christians' homes, it's, it's one of the greatest witnesses of the gospel in this sin-sick world. We set the thermostat in our home. If we want it to be 70, 72, which is the perfect temperature, they say, then we make it 72 by turning the dial. If we want it to be 60, which in my estimation is too cold and you'd have to put on layers of clothing, you know, you set it down to 62. And, and you would have to, and if it's really hot, you'd have to take off some of your clothes, you know, to, to make yourself comfortable. So we set the temperature and the thermostat in our home. Yes. We ladies yes. determine what goes on in our homes. Do we serve God or do we serve mammon? Do we serve God or do we serve Satan? Do we pray or do we not pray? God thought we were capable of, of doing this. In Proverbs 14, 1, he says, every wise woman builds her home. You make your home the way you want it to be. There was someone I know that um, her daughter went to a new school and trying to make new friends brought one of the young girls home. And they had a baby monitor in her room and they could hear the girl there that was visiting. And this young girl was using the F word every other Every other sentence, she had the F word in there. And when the mother asked the daughter about it, she said that this is the way all the kids talk in school. Things have really changed since my day. And I, I guess I need to ask my granddaughter, just everybody talks that way, do they? That you're around, everybody talks that way. It's just the norm. It's not the norm in my house. It's not going to be the norm around the people I hang out with. You know, I grieve now when I think about I went to see the movie American Sniper because it was the big thing. I had to finally get up and leave because the F word was used every third word. And they couldn't even say one whole sentence in American Sniper without it being uh, used. And I understand military. But uh, I had to get up and leave because it was grieving my spirit. And that's not patting me on the back and saying I'm holier than thou. I don't want to have filth like that go in me. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and I do not want filth going in me. I want to protect what is God. All right, it's not even in my notes, but you go back and you look at the wise and foolish virgins. There were ten virgins. They all had oil in their lamps, which represents they were all born again. They all loved God. But there were only five that were filled and had enough oil. And, and the five foolish ones said, please give us some of your oil because the announcement was coming, the bridegroom's coming. Well, the announcement's coming. Jesus is on his way. And it could be any day. It could be any moment. It could, it could be right now. 
I mean, he is on his way. We're not playing games here anymore. You look at all the signs of the end time, what's happening in the Middle East. Excuse me for preaching. But this is so real on the inside of me. We are not playing games anymore. You can't just say, well, I'll live my life. I'm, I'm college age now, and I have four years to just blow and go and do any evil, wicked thing I want. No, you don't have four years. You better live your life the way God wants you to live it. So if he says, the bridegroom's here, the five didn't have enough oil to make it to heaven, but the five wise virgins had enough oil in their vessel that they went when the rapture took place. Those five foolish, yes, they were born again, but they were not filled with the oil on the inside of them. Guess what? They have to go through the seven-year tribulation. Seven years. I wouldn't want to be on this earth seven years during the tribulation. Of the chaos we see now, imagine when we're all removed and all the things that restrain are removed. Imagine the hell that's going to be on planet earth for seven years. Your mind cannot even take it in. Oh, my goodness. Mm. So when the mother asked the daughter about it, she said that's the way all the kids talk at school. Then today there are things happening on social media. Of course, we didn't even have social media when I was growing up. There was one telephone in the home, and you sat in a little telephone chair, and the cord reached, and you sat there, and everybody in the family had to hear your conversation. <laughs> now someone, I think it was Jerry, maybe he, they had a closet, or I've seen it on old movies where they had a closet, and they could pull the cord into the closet, sit on the floor and talk where mom and dad and brothers and sisters couldn't hear your conversation and make jokes and, you know, make fun of you later. But one phone, who would have ever thought now, you see people on a motorcycle on their cell phone, which is a no-no, on a motorcycle on their cell phone. But who would have ever thought that we would have a camera right here in our laps that we can video everything, we can take photos, social media. But now there's Snapchat where the young people can take pictures of themselves naked, send it to the boys, and within seconds they can see the naked little girl, and then it's deleted. Or the little naked boy send pictures to the little girl. It's happening right and left. I know people that it's happened to. Know people that have done it. it isn't, it's grievous. We're living. Our children are inundated with things that we were never never tempted with, never, never tempted with. Oh, so get compassionate about praying for them. I mean, we need to pull them out of the, of the snatches. It's like Satan is an octopus with all these arms and he's trying to, to, he's trying to capture our children. He's trying to capture our children. Sodom and Gomorrah. We are living in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Who would have ever thought we would live to see a day that... Uh, our judges have said that marriage can take place in every nation, I mean, every state in the nation. I would have never thought I would live to, to see this day. And so you, I went back in Genesis, the 19th chapter, and I've read uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't think a lot of people have read that story in a long time. Maybe you should go back and read it. Genesis chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom, and um, they were in the square, the city square, 
And Lot was there, and he said to them, Come into my home and abide with me. I will make you a meal. And they said, No, we'll sleep in the square tonight. Well, he persuaded them to go into his home. When he got the two angels into his home and prepared a meal, all of a sudden all the homosexual men of the city, young and old, the Bible says, young and old, began to beat on the door, beat on the door, beat on the door. They wanted to be intimate, the Bible says, with the two men, the two strange men that had come in. They wanted to be intimate with the two men. And as they began to beat on the door, it says, Lot went out and said, Please, these two men have come under the protection of my roof. Now I want you to see this. He said, Let me give you my daughters. He had no regard for family. Lot had no respect for his own children. He had no regard for his own family. He said, Let me give you my daughters. To do with as you will, one, one translation says. To do with as you will, just let me give you my daughters. They don't mean anything to me. That's the way I see it. And the angels said they jerked Lot in to the house and blinded the men. And all of a sudden they said, get out. The angels said, get out of Sodom. Get your daughters. Get the sons-in-law. They were pledged to be married. Get them, get your wife, get out of the city. And as soon as he made them get, the angels made them get out of the city, when those angels turned, fire and brimstone hit and devoured Sodom and Gomorrah, for the sin of it, of it was so great. We're right on the cuspus of this happening again. We're right on the edge of this happening again because we're right there. When this has become accepted, by society at large, and it has. And the only ones that do not accept it are this small remnant of Christian believers that say, no, we're drawing our battle line and we will not. And can I tell you this? I'm not against homosexuals. I have cousins, one that's a lesbian. I have a cousin that's a homosexual. We have waiters that Jerry and I dearly, dearly appreciate and love at places. And just they hug us, we hug them. I'm not against them. I'm against the lifestyle. I'm against the, the, how it's deceived them. The spirits deceive them. I care for them. My heart, my compassionate heart loves them and goes out to them. So please understand my heart in that. Do you remember the story of Moses' mom and dad, Amram and Joshebed? How that they wove the little basket like this, they wove a little basket because all of the children were being killed and destroyed. And uh, Amram and Joseph had wove that little basket and they put Moses in that basket. And I can see them praying over Moses as they placed him in that basket because you know what they did, Cassidy? They pushed that little basket out into the Nile River. The Nile River was known for the alligators. Can you imagine putting your baby in a basket and put it in the Nile River, push it out in the Nile where the alligators were? An alligator's big mouth could just eat that basket all in one bite. But they had to have faith that when they pushed that baby out in that river, that God was going to lead and guide that little basket and protect that little basket with him in it and take it right where it needed to go. 
Well, that's what we have to do, ladies. We have to build our little ark, our little basket with our prayers, with our believing, with us raising our children in a godly environment so every day when they go out that door, they have heard your voice before they leave that door, that you are covered with the blood of Jesus. I never left my house one time that I can remember that as I went out the door, my mother didn't say, I cover you in the blood of Jesus. Every day of my life, my mother prayed over me, I cover you in the blood of Jesus. Thank God for praying mothers. Thank God for believing mothers. So Ambram and Josheved, they had faith. And I want us to have faith like they had. They put their child right out there in that river with the alligators. You have to send your children right out that door to school, right out into the world. To me, that's the Nile River. Out there where it's evil, where it's bad. But I'm telling you, your God can keep them protected and keep them covered. We are our children's picture of God. Since 1960, there have been 560% increase in violent crime. More than 400% increase, increase in illegitimate births. 400%. A quadrupling in divorce rates. A tripling of the percentage of children living in single-parent homes. More than 200% increase in teenage suicides. 200% increase in suicides. A drop of almost 80 points in the SAT scores. And it grieves me to see that I think it was our state that was voting a few weeks ago to even lower the SAT scores even lower. I mean, our education is dropping all the time. So we as a society, as a nation, as a family, are in a downward spiral. We have to bring God back into our homes back into our homes. Now, I want you to look at the beautiful wedding gown over here. Some bride wore this beautiful gown on her wedding day. And I want this wedding gown to be a symbol of a wonderful heritage that was handed down through her parents and grandparents to her generation. It's a beautiful, an example of a wonderful heritage. Now, this. This was a beautiful white shirt yesterday that my husband gave me. came right out of the cleaners. And I tried to make it old and dirty. It's almost impossible to do. But this I want to represent a heritage that may have been given to you that was not as beautiful as that gown that could have been handed down to others. What were you given as a heritage? What were you given as a legacy? Were you given a beautiful gown? Nothing is just handed on a silver platter. You have to work at your legacy. Annette so beautifully already has shared. You have to work at your legacy. You create your own legacy. If you were given this and this is not what you want, you can choose to pass this down as your legacy to your generation, your next generation, your children, your children's children. Or I know people who were given this as a beautiful heritage. 
and I know people that are living this way now that are not living the way that they were raised, the way they were given, not living the life that they were given. I know of a family in particular, two siblings in it, that were raised in the same godly home, the same way. One chose to live their life like that, and one is living their life like this right now. The one that chose that legacy, their children are in ministry serving God. The one that chose this legacy, their children are in prison, and they're from the same family, in the same family. This is what they chose. That's what the other person chose. So you choose what you will wear. You choose what you will wear. You may not have any control over what you were given, but you have control over what you pass down. Don't you love that? Every legacy has areas that can be improved on. Every legacy has areas that can be made better. If you have sad memories, if you have bad memories, regardless of how bad it was, you can change it, and God can change it in you. Like this beautiful gown. I love this gown. You see how beautiful it is? But you don't know. There could be grass stains under the hem. She could have stepped on it and ripped it. Now look, I've covered up the stain in the front on purpose. Now I want you to see the stain where something punch was spilled down the front of that gown. So there's no legacy that's perfect. Every legacy that's been passed down has areas that it can be improved upon. That it can be improved upon. But you can choose what you will wear today and you can choose what you will pass down. It doesn't seem fair, does it? Some were given a wonderful, healthy, positive heritage, a beautiful gown. Others were handed rags. Many of those who were given a solid heritage find the process of passing on that tradition as easy as breathing. Others who received a weak heritage, maybe like this, will have no idea how to overcome the past, let alone get a creative, positive heritage going for the future, for the next generation. But I'm telling you, if you get in God's Word, the good news is that both can create and give a wonderful heritage. And I'm telling you the example, I haven't gotten to it yet, but to me the greatest example of that is Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer was given this type of heritage growing up right here. Her life was not a life that I would want to pass down to anyone. But I'm telling you, Joyce got in God's Word and she saw the difference. She was abused from the time she was a little child, both verbally, physically, sexually, emotionally. So her life was even ripped probably more than this shirt. But Joyce found from God's Word and she had a picture from God's Word what she wanted her life to be like. And she created that. And she has passed that legacy on to her children and to her children's children. <clears throat> what are you wearing? How have the patterns of the past generations influenced your life today? Did your heritage include more negative than positive? Even if you have received rags, you can now replace them with a lovely gown of your own making. It all boils down to choices. Everything in life boils down to choices.
The family you come from isn't as important as the family you're going to have or the family that you're going to make. Even if your parents gave you little or no godly heritage, you can change that and create a wonderful heritage that gives your children joy and purpose and honors your name and your God. Now, when I, I heard this survey years and years ago, and I've kept it, and I just love it, and I want to just read the survey to you. This survey is of two families, the Jukes family and the Edwards family. And of this survey, which I heard 35 years ago, it's, uh, it made such an impression on me. Two different families dramatically illustrate the impact of a covenant of marriage based on God's word and a marriage where they decided and, and made a vow to each other that God would be the center of their life. So they're two, di two different families. The first one, the Edwards, 1,200 descendants. Man and woman came together on their wedding day, both raised in godly homes. They agreed to bring their children up in a godly environment. This family is most notable for producing the famous 18th century preacher Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan's father was a minister and his mother was the daughter of a clergyman. Among their descendants in the late 20th century were 14 college presidents, more than 100 college professors, more than 100 lawyers, 30 judges, and 60 physicians. The family also has given us more than 100 clergymen, countless missionaries, droves of theology professors, and 60 authors. Almost every great American industry has benefited from the impact of the Edwards family's contribution. Amazing, isn't it? Now, contrast the rich heritage and impact of the Edwards line to the influence of the Jukes line. Jukes family, 1,200 descendants. And it has been estimated that this family has cost the state of New York millions of dollars over the years. The Jukes had produced 300 professional paupers, 60 thieves, over 130 convicted criminals, 55 descendants were victims of sexual obsession, over 20 learned to trade, and 10% of them from prison. Sadly, this family produced at least seven murderers. Now, I apologize to anybody if your last name is Jukes in here, <laughs> because I was giving this illustration some years ago, and a family came up to me and told me their last name was Jukes. And I want to say, and I wasn't teaching on family then, but I want to say if your last name is Jukes, change the history of this family. Make a decision that you're going to be one in a million and that you're going to change the odds in your family. Is there any question that prior generations can have a direct influence on our life patterns? Abused children end up beating their own children. Those raised by drunk become alcoholics themselves. Criminals tend to raise criminals. Dysfunctional breeds dysfunction. Moral weakness fosters moral weakness. This on the positive side, responsible, loving, parents tend to instill the same in their offspring and they in theirs and so on.
only have a few more minutes, but I want to cover just very quickly social legacy. Social legacy, let me give you the definition. Definition of social legacy is giving the child the insight and strong social skills for cultivating healthy, stable relationships. As the uh, mature Christian, or as the mature children, must learn to relate to family members, friends, peers, teachers, and eventually co-workers, the boss, customers, the banker, on and on. Like it or not, relating well with others is vital to the process of living. If a child has not been taught how to relate to their own siblings and to family members and to friends and relate well to them, it's not likely that they'll be able to relate to people outside the family. Uh, the primary classroom of relational competence is in the home. Those who learn to relate well with others often have an edge on the game of life. Clearly, a strong social legacy is a great gift, and the strength of this legacy depends upon our modeling it in our children. Teach respect and responsibility. Yes. Let me go back and look at this right here. Clearly, a strong social legacy is a great gift, and the strength of this legacy depends upon our modeling it in our children. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me for using you as an example. It just came to me. But Terry and Rodney are both outgoing social people. Cassidy has been raised from the birth as a child. She has always met people, been introduced to people. She's always been in adult settings. So she's learned how to conduct herself around adults. So from the very first, Terry has taught her how to look people in the eye. Cassidy doesn't look down when she looks at people. She looks people like she's looking me directly in the eyes. That you teach your children. Yes. You don't look off or over people's shoulder right. when you're introduced to people. You look them in the eye, and when you say it's nice to meet you, you shake hands or you, you know, you look at them. She's learned social things. So Cassidy has grown up. She had to go before a panel of judges, I guess they'd be ju judges, maybe they weren't, a school faculty, when she was, um, what was the word, looking for a scholarship for a certain school that she was going to. These were all doctors and lawyers and all these uh, sophisticated, educated people. And my grandchild stood there with all the confidence in the world and addressed each one of those as they asked her a question with great confidence. Where do you think she got the confidence? She was trained to have the confidence in the home. So uh, she learned respect. She learned responsibility in the home. So that's where it's taught is in the home. Social graces are taught in the home. Social graces are taught in the home. Joyce got tickled when she was reading over my notes and was printing them for me because I put this in there and, and you all may think it's kind of silly, but I think it's cute because um, um, I liked it. I was raised in the South, and I'm a Southern girl, clear down to the, my toes, you know. And I was raised to have certain etiquette. You don't yawn in public without, if you yawn in public, you take your hand and you cover your mouth. There's a gentleman in church every Sunday that yawns. And I get so tickled every yawns, 
Young's. That's Southern. Young's. Young's. That's real Southern Young, isn't it? He yawns every Sunday. And it's a big one. He just lets it all out and he doesn't cover his mouth and everybody around him can see it. And I just snicker down on the inside when I see him every Sunday. But you don't burp in public. You don't pick your teeth in public. You don't use a toothpick or wear a toothpick. There's this man who used to work for us. He did a building project. And he and his son would go eat breakfast every morning. He wore that toothpick, chewing on it all day long at work. That's one of my pet peeves. I'm sorry. You don't spit in public. Doesn't that gross you out to see somebody hack and spit in front of you? Oh, it, it, it's repulsive. You don't scratch certain areas in public. I hope there's no men in here. I hate to see... Justin, step inside the kitchen, please. I hate... I don't want his face to turn any redder than it gets when he's... In. I hate to see men do this. In public. Don't you hate that? They walk up and... You know, are you at a baseball game and the Rangers and, and the men on the dugout are doing the, oh. Maybe that was too graphic, sorry. And you don't pick your nose in public. You don't dig in your ears in public. Oh, you know, those are all, the list could go on and on and on and on. Hopefully we learn something about all levels of human relationship and the process through both laughter and pain in those early experiences, the good and the bad. They leave their mark on us of how we interact with others. Do you know my mother, when my sister and I would get in a fight, she would make us come together and hug each other and look each other in the eye and say, we're sorry. I didn't want to say I was sorry. I don't like you. <laughs> and she'd say, I don't like you. <laughs> well, I really don't like you. Well, I really don't like you either. <laughs> Mother's say, now kiss. We don't want to kiss. Now hug. We don't want to hug. You know, well, life goes on. <laughs> so we learn those things in the early, early years. So the social skills, social skills. Jerry and I have seven grandchildren, and we only have two little girls. Oh, they're the loves of our life. Their grandpa, oh my Lord, he, they have him wrapped around their finger. All they have to say is, Papa, I would like, and Papa's there in a heartbeat to do anything these two little girls want. Well. As I've said earlier, Cassidy has had the privilege because her mother's in the ministry. She's traveled around the world. From the time she was a few months old, she's been in Hawaii more times than I can count. She's been to London and Paris so many times, Australia. Just, she just travels all the time. And last year, I may tear up over this, last year we had the two girls, the two granddaughters with us, and I don't know how the conversation came up, but the comment was made, well, what is your favorite place in the whole wide world? And I was expecting Cassidy to say, Paris. 
She said, my favorite place in the whole wide world is the lake house with Mimi and Papa. Thank you for the tissue. <laughs> my favorite place in the whole wide world. Or we said, Maddie, what's your favorite place in the whole wide world? She says, the lake house with Mimi and Papa. Do you know what that did? To think the memories. Yeah. You know, we've had, we have three lake properties in Granbury. We had one house. And when our family grew, we had to buy the house next door. <laughs> because it wasn't big enough to sleep everybody. So we bought the house next door. And then two doors down, a big, beautiful metal shop came available. And Jerry said, I'm buying that to put all my boats and jet skis and all the toys in. So we bought that. Well, about two years ago, we sold the, the big shop. And then we sold his uh, cabin. And the only house left for a year and a half, 18 months now, that is not sold is our original lake house, our little cottage, our little original lake house. It is not sold. And we don't know why it's not sold. It's just a beautiful little place. And a couple of weeks ago, we were with the family, and Jerry Ann said, and the grandkids said, well, we never want you to sell that house. <laughs> That's our place of memories. And Jerry and I looked at each other and we said, that's why the house is never sold. <laughs> they don't want that house to sell. They don't want that house to sell. That's where memories have been made. That's where all our grandchildren's memories. Where we, we ride the boat, we play the jet skis, but we play badminton out in the yard. We play volleyball. We play board games at night when it gets so dark. Uncle Rodney has played hide and seek with these little ones. <laughs> And you know what? He hides them in the attic. <laughs> he hides them in the roof. He hides them in the kitchen where the pantry doors are. He hides them up in there. We've even had tents in the backyard where all the little ones were slept in tents. Do I have tissue on my cheek? And, um, you know, so that's place of memory. So now I know our faith wasn't working because we have 15 other people praying against it. <laughs> you know? So Jerry was saying the other day, maybe we'll just put great big giant privacy fence and add on another four or five bedrooms or something to that house. And we'll see, you know, but memories. Oh, my goodness. Build the memories with your children. Where's your cell phone, Cass? Put that cell phone right there. Thank you. Daughter, put your cell phone right here. Thank you. Texting while I'm preaching. Oh, let's see. Let's see. No, they really weren't. They really weren't. I just tried to throw that in as an example. But you know what? I think there's too much of this. And not enough of this. Not enough of this. Badminton. Not enough of this. 
all the board games. Start pulling out the board games. Start pulling out your, your things. And you know, I decided just this week, when we get together as a family, I'm pulling this little basket out, and we're going to have timeout breaks where the cell phone's not in the hand for 30 minutes or an hour at a time. We're all going to put our cell phones, the whole family, in a basket, and we're just going to interact with each other. How about that? All right, eat cake for breakfast. I think that one goes there. And this one goes here. So legacy. Legacy is so important. Emotional legacy. Definition. A strong emotional legacy is that enduring sense of security and emotional stability nurtured in an environment of safety and love. That's emotional legacy. Safety and love. An emotional legacy is nurtured by parents. It's not quickly done. It takes time and consistency to develop in your child a sense of emotional wholeness. Now, uh, years ago, you know, we go every uh, summer on a motorcycle trip with the Copelands and the Burks and the Duplantis and Caldwells. And... Uh, we had all pulled into some little town on our motorcycle, and I was sitting on the motorcycle. I wasn't going to go in, and different ones had gone in. And this man uh, was going in Walmart, had his little boy with him. And you know how there's those little carousel things sometimes outside stores? And the little child, it must have been about three or four, wanted to get on the little carousel. And the father screamed at that child and jerked him and pulled him. But I can't even, I won't even go into trying to be as ugly as what that father was to demonstrate to you. But he jerked that child and pulled that child. And I mean, it could have like jerked the, his socket out of his arm. That's how hard and mean and hateful he spoke and jerked that child. I wanted to get off that bike and go up there so bad and tell that man what he is, how he's hurting and bruising that child, his, his child. I wanted to rescue that child. I wanted to take that child home with me. You know, that's how bad it was. So you know that child was going to be raised in an emotionally robbed home where he was not going to have a sense of stability and love and, and uh, he would not be secure in growing up. So in turn, he's going to pass that on to his children when it's time for him to get married and have children. So an atmosphere of love nourishes that emotional stability. So love and unconditional love in the home is what will give your child safety and cause deep roots to grow. Them knowing that you will always be there for them no matter what. For better or for worse, the emotional culture in which we are raised has a performed a profound impact upon our emotional well-being as adults. If you were raised in an atmosphere of love and acceptance, you are more secure than those from a critical, distant family. If you came from a home in which affection was rarely demonstrated, you may find expressing your love more difficult than those from a family of huggers. I came from a family of huggers. Uh, each of us is an emotional reflection of the environment in which we were raised. Some of us grew up in homes where emotions were not modeled or discussed. The few emotions were expressed behind closed doors. Others grew up in homes where emotional expression was punished. Children raised in this environment either consciously or unconsciously 
tell themselves that it wasn't safe to feel. Some adults had a parent who was a silent sulker. Others had parents who played the martyr. Yet others had parents who were screamers or raging bulls. No matter what the style, how you saw your parents handling their anger influenced how you handle yours. Your past shapes your present handling of emotions, emotional legacy. Family counselors constantly have clients with the lasting effects of a painful childhood and painful memories. People from all walks of life struggle to overcome a negative emotional legacy which hinders their ability to overcome the struggles of life. Sadly, a solid emotional legacy seems to become the exception rather than the norm. But it doesn't have to be that way, not in our homes. In our homes, you can give a wonderful uh, emotional legacy to your children. Whether or not you received a strong emotional heritage, you can give one. You decide, it's your choice, and you can give a strong emotional legacy. Again, my example, Joyce Meyer, giving a strong emotional legacy to her family, to her children. If thoughts of your childhood bring fear rather than fondness, then you have your work cut out for you in changing that, but you can change it. Imagine what it would be like for family memories to warm your heart rather than tighten your stomach. I brought some of my Thomas Kincaids out in the front lobby. I would like for you to enjoy those. When I look at a Thomas Kincaid, we started collecting those 35 years ago, I guess, or so. So some of mine are, are quite valuable because they're in like the first printing of them, like 35, 40 years ago, before he was even known. Jerry bought me my first one. And uh, if you look at a Thomas Kincaid print, to me, it's warm, it's welcoming. It's like you were saying about your little granddaughter. She wants to go inside that playhouse and be that size and live there. To me, that's what Thomas Kincaid prints and paintings look like. You want to be a part of what's going on inside that house. You know, you can see them playing games. You can see them drinking hot chocolate. You can see laughter going on around the dinner table. Not people screaming and yelling and someone with a belt getting whipped. And I mean, you see love, you see warmth, you see caring inside the Thomas Kincaid Prince. So now imagine yourself giving such feelings to your children. The sense of emotional wholeness can be compared to planting a tree. The key to tree strength is its deep, strong roots. And they grow strong, the tree must be planted in rich soil. Receive plenty of water and sunshine. So it is with our emotional legacy. We must create an atmosphere that surrounds our child's fragile spirit with nourishment that's required for a healthy growth. This gives child security and emotional stability. Now, the last one I want to talk about is spiritual. Many homes today neglect this final element. The homes in the world neglect the spiritual element. Christian homes are the rarity. This could be the weakest strand in the threefold cord. Down the road last week, I saw a sign on, at the Baptist church down on the corner, and it says, a family altar alters a family. 
I love it. I love that sign. A family altar alters a family. In the early days, families had Bible readings at night because there was no other form of entertainment. There were no televisions. There were not radios. They would actually discuss the scriptures together as a family, and the father usually did the, the Bible reading unless he was uneducated and did not know how to read. Maybe the mother read the scripture, read the word. But they would read the Bible together as a family every night, and they would kneel and pray together as a family. What happened to these wonderful traditions? Why have they disappeared, and why have we abandoned them? The children today, I would be safe in saying, do not know the Ten Commandments. They don't even know the names of the twelve disciples. But the boys can tell you the latest football scores or who's been traded to what team and their statistics. They also know the names of the players on the teams. The girls can tell you the latest gossip about the Kardashians or what the latest fashion trend is, or what the latest rap song is, or what Beyonce's up to today. Our society has changed, and I'm sorry to say, not for the better. How do we change this? We have to make a difference. We have to take back some of the wonderful traditions. God and His Word have to be first place in our homes. A spiritual legacy is more by actions that we model for our children. A spiritual legacy is a process, not an event. It takes a lifetime. It occurs in the routine moments of life, over the dinner table, over the, at the breakfast table, driving to school. Our children need to observe the spiritual life as part of normal living, rather than it just belonging to a saintly old grandmother. It needs to be a part of their life to fulfill and to honor the scripture in Joshua 24, 15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The home is very important to God. In fact, he created the family before he created the church. When God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in relation to each other and to their children. He established the family as the pattern for all of mankind because he wanted us to live together as families. God created Adam and Eve, and then he placed them in relation to each other and to their children. You are your children's picture of God. In the airport, there was a couple with their little girl who was waiting for the grandparents to get off the plane. When the white-haired couple came down the ramp, there was a man standing over to the uh, side that observed the little girl running and jumping into the arms of her grandparents. And so when they got down to baggage claim and uh, the man struck up a conversation with the father, he said, well, your grand the grandparents must come often to visit the little granddaughter. And they said, oh, no, they've only been here one time, and that's when she was born. Well, how did she know them so well? Well, that's because we talk about them every day. We show them pictures of the grandparents every day. We talk about them every day. Well, you are your child's picture of God. You are God to them. When they look at you, they should see the resemblance of the Heavenly Father. You are your children's picture of God. In truth, none of us were handed a perfect heritage. 
We have received a mix of the good and the bad because our parents, learning by doing and limited by their own weaknesses, did not always offer what was needed. So it's, not, it's not easy being a parent, you know? But God gives you the grace and he gives you the mercy and he gives you the anointing, especially if you go to him. Because there were so many situations, I'd throw my hands up and say, God, I've reached the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. I can't do this on my own. You have to give me wisdom raising these teenagers. You know, and he would. He would give me the wisdom that I needed. Not always was I perfect. No one's ever perfect. So our parents, learning by doing and limited by their own weakness, did not always offer what was needed. My children, for example, had what some would call or consider a great life being raised in a minister's home. But they will tell you today that life in a fishbowl was anything but a picnic. They were constantly being held to a different standard by those around them, and their father and I often expected more out of them than we should have. Uh, they, like all of us, received both the good and the bad. When you seek God and you try to do the best that you can do and try to be the best parent that you can be, that's all God expects. That's all he wants out of all of us. I had to go to my girls and tell them I wasn't given a handbook on how to mother. <laughs> no one's given a handbook on how to mother. All we can do is go to God's word and just seek him on a daily basis. Seeking him on a daily basis, trying to do the very best you can do. And my heritage to my children is the good along with the bad, the bad along with the good, and they take the bad and make it, turn it into good, improve on what I did, you know? And God just wants the best for all of us. He wants us to stand up and take our rightful place in these last days and not let the world squeeze us into its mold. Let's don't look like the world. Let's don't act like the world. Let's don't pattern our families after the world. Let's pattern our families after what God wants. Well, ladies, it gives...